Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Most biblical scholars believe that it was Paul who wrote the letter to the Thessalonians. They also believe that his primary purpose in writing that letter was to uh, encourage and comfort and strengthen that church. And buried deep within... uh, Chapter 5 are these words from the New King James Version. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. Thank you. Be seated. So I have to say that Derek, when we broke off into the parts, the men and the women, did y'all get chills from that? Man, that was beautiful. Just beautiful. Well, God is good. And all the time. Was my mother the only one that ever said to me, you're getting on my last nerve? (laughs) Apparently. Anybody else ever hear that? I need to know where you're identifying with me. Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) Well, um... Today, I don't think she would say that so much. I think if, if, if it were today, she'd probably say, you're exceeding the limits of my medication or something along those lines. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I, I think a porcupine's a cute little animal, but it's not necessarily one you want to hug. You know, that could hurt a little bit. And I think a lot of people are that way. A lot of people, you know, from the outside, you, you have a compassion and a mercy and a care for them. But man, when you get right up close, it's just not easy to love them. So Paul, in this particular passage, he is encouraging us to do three things. And if your Bible is open to this passage, you'll see and you can follow along with me. But the first thing that he asks is that we warn those who are unruly. Now, the word used here, unruly, has the idea of a soldier that has broken rank. The word was used in a military context, but here it could refer to those that are idle. Idle hands are the devil's workshop, as many of us heard growing up. And there was an occasion in the book of Acts where some were unruly because of their idleness. Uh, Acts 17, verse 5. But the Jews who were not persuaded becoming envious took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. This is an example of being unruly, stirring up trouble. And you would like to think that Paul would say, you know, push those out that are unruly. But he says, first, warn them, warn those who are unruly. Secondly, comfort the faint hearted. These are folks who need to be consoled because conditions have caused them to lose heart. So on the one hand, you have the unruly. On the other hand, you have those who were faint-hearted, two totally different extremes. And a great example of this we see in John chapter 11, verse 31. The Jews who were with her in her house and comforting her 
when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. That being the story of the death of Lazarus. So warn those that are unruly, comfort those who are faint-hearted, and uphold the weak. Now, I think what Paul may have in mind here is not weak as in physical strength, but those who may be tempted to sin, those who struggle with certain kinds of sins. Uphold them uh, because they have a specific weakness for a specific thing that they really just need help with. But here's the part that summarizes it all, that is hard sometimes to swallow. Be patient with all. They say patience is a virtue, yet it's one I've failed to obtain to acquire up to this point. And I used to, when I was younger, I'd pray to God for patience, especially as a young father of young children. Pray for patience. I quit praying for patience because God was answering that prayer by putting me in situations that required patience. I thought he would just, you know, give it to me. But he was trying to teach it to me, so I quit praying for patience. And it's hard to be patient with all kinds of people because you think about some of these classes of people, those that are unruly, the faint-hearted, the weak. It can be a burden to care for people that have issues that maybe we don't have. And we pour out ourselves into them, and sometimes we don't see any change. That's even more frustrating because you want to be like, you know, what are you doing? But the thing is, there's a weakness that we all have Mine exhibits in one way and another's may exhibit in another way. But it's a fulfillment of the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so someone that's constantly caring for others, warning those who are unruly, comforting the faint-hearted, upholding the weak, people can become very tired with that, especially if they don't see the fruits of their labor. But when you love your neighbor as yourself, you have to begin by loving yourself before you can ever love your neighbor. Now, some people go, I can't do that. That's selfish. Well, no, here's the thing. If all you ever do is give, there's not going to be much left of you to give after you give so much. There's nothing wrong. Jesus often would go away from the crowds and he would go off somewhere by himself to pray. Was that selfish of the Lord? No, it was human. You got to take care of yourself so that you can take care of others, especially if you're in the position to have to take care of others. So there are certain people that it's easy to be patient with. I think all of us could agree on that. Uh, For example, people that have special needs or that are handicapped, children, uh, sometimes other folks and classes of folks we might view as vulnerable. Those are people that we we are, you know, we can be patient with. We may need a break, but we can be patient with them because they're in a category that uh, they don't have the full strength to do and to be all that they should. But here's what I'm not patient with. And maybe you can identify with this. I'm not patient with waiting. I don't like to wait. You can ask Stephanie. I was sick Thanksgiving and I had a low-grade fever Thursday, that Thursday and that Friday. And I said, Saturday, if I'm still not feeling good, we're going to go to one of those clinics that you just walk into. And so we go to one and we walked in and we got to fill out all this paperwork and we hand it back to the lady. And I'm like, all right, let's go in the room now. Right. I mean, that's how I think it should work. Y'all know it doesn't work that way. Yeah. So the lady came back because I I don't know. We might have forgotten to fill out something or sign something. And I asked her, I said, about how long do you think this is going to take? She said, well, what was it? About an hour. It could take up to an hour. I set a timer on my phone. Fifteen minutes. 
I said, if they haven't called me in 15 minutes, I'm going home. Y'all think that's funny, don't you? But I hate waiting. If I'm going to be sick, I'd rather be sick at my house than sick waiting in a duck. But you go, gosh, he's difficult. Yeah, say prayers for my wife. But that's just how it is. I hate waiting. When I go through a fast food line, it better be fast. That's why it's called fast food, right? What are y'all doing? Are you chasing the chicken to kill it, to pluck the feathers, to cook it for my sandwich? Come on. And don't judge me because I know some of you are the same way. Don't act like you're better than I am. I know better. But we all struggle with patience in one way or another. And being patient with other people doesn't mean being taken for granted. It doesn't mean being taken advantage of. But I think we can all agree there are some people that really try our nerves and exceed the limits of our medication. Those are the ones Paul is speaking of. Those are the ones that we're to be patient with. And it's a struggle. Do you really want to help someone who won't lift a finger to help themselves? What about people who continually make bad choices without any kind of change? Are those the people that you want to help? There are some people that are overly needy when they ought not to challenge our ability to love them. They shouldn't feel entitled. And the list can go on and on and on. But the point is, some people make it hard for us to love them. And those are precisely the ones that we should love. And it's hard. Trust me, I know. It's hard. But I want to give a few reasons as to why we should. Biblical reasons. Now, here's what I think of. If God wasn't God, He would treat us according to how we are rather than according to who He is. Think about that. God treats us the way that He does, not because of us, but because of who He is. And so God is patient with impatient people. The folks like us who hate to wait, who hate to give folks the benefit of the doubt, who hate to just give them a second, third, and seventh, and 27th chance. But the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is the God that we serve. He is a God that's patient even with those of us who are impatient. And I'm pretty thankful for that. What if God was as impatient with me as I tend to be with others? Uh, things wouldn't last very long. So for those of us that are impatient, hopefully when we realize that how God is patient with us, hopefully it moves us more towards being patient and gracious to others. Because I... I know I want God's merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding goodness and truth, mercy, forgiveness. I want all that. And how hypocritical is it going to be if what I want from God I'm not willing to show others? That's pretty bad. You ever heard of LaGuardia Airport out there in New York? As, you know, if you've ever watched Home Alone or some of them movies, you've heard of it. Uh, I didn't realize that. I figured... 
Airports are always named after somebody popular, but it was named after Fiorella LaGuardia, who was the mayor of New York. And he was also uh, an attorney, and one winter night, uh, he went to the night court to proceed over the hearings. So he told the judge, he said, you go on home for the evening, and, and he'll take over the bench for that evening. And so while he's doing this, a, a, a tattered woman comes in charged with stealing a loaf of bread. And when she stands before LaGuardia, she gives the explanation. She says, my daughter's husband has deserted her. She's sick and her children are starving. So LaGuardia looks over to the shopkeeper and, you know, he says, would you like to drop the charges? And the shopkeeper replies, he says, it's a bad neighborhood, Your Honor, and she's got to be punished to teach other people a lesson. So LaGuardia, he just, he let out this deep sigh and he turns to the old woman and he says, ma'am, I have to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. Ten dollars or ten days in jail. But while he's pronouncing the sentence, LaGuardia reaches into his pocket and he took out a ten dollar bill. He threw it in his hat and he says, Here's the $10 fine, which I now remit. And furthermore, I'm going to find everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. She sent the, he sent the bailiff around and the bailiff is, is collecting money from people who were there going to be on trial themselves from the police officers that have brought them in and everybody else. And the New York newspaper reported $47.50 was turned over to a bewildered old grandmother who'd stolen a loaf of bread and fed her starving grandchildren. Making forced donations were the red-faced storekeeper, 70 petty criminals, and a few New York policemen. Now, sometimes we don't get what we deserve. If you look at the letter of the law, the grandmother decided to be, she deserved to be punished, but rather than being punished, she received mercy. Rather than justice, she received mercy. Did she deserve a stay in the city jail? Yeah, but she got to go back home. She deserved the accompaniment of criminals, but she found herself in the presence of her family that evening. I thought that was a pretty remarkable story that Mayor LaGuardia, first of all, he just decided I'm going to go to night court and be a judge and he dismisses the judge and he goes over this and he's moved by the circumstances of this grandmother's life and the life of her family. And so he ponied up the fine and then he charged everybody else. He says, this is what you pay for living in a city where a woman has to steal a loaf of bread. It's a pretty good story. I want to tell you another one. I love reading. I do a lot of reading. And, and uh, some of the stories I come across in books or in articles, they're just really, I'm like, this is such a teachable story. So I'll take it and I'll mark it and I'll tuck it down and I'll go, this is going to come in handy someday. But the late General Colin Powell told a story of when he was uh, a young infantry officer. He was sent to Germany, and in those days, their prize weapon was a 280-millimeter atomic cannon. And so this particular cannon was guarded by infantry platoons, and they were hauled around the forest on trucks to keep the Soviets from guessing their location. So one day, uh, Colin Powell's uh, captain 
assigned his platoon to guard that 280. So he told his men and he went and he got his 45 caliber pistol, his sidearm, loaded it and, you know, put one right in the chamber, put it on. And so he and his men got all up in their convoy and they head out to where this cannon is. And they get out and when they get out, Powell is patting his sidearm and his gun's not there. Now, you can get in a lot of trouble if you're in the military and you lose a firearm. Did you know that? When Bree was finishing uh, her assignment in Washington, D.C., at the end of it, she and another person were responsible for collecting all the firearms and making sure that they were checked in, that they, everything was fine with them. And she said, Dad, you get a lot of trouble if you lose one of your fire, lose a, a firearm at all. And I was like, well, okay. So General, he wasn't General, but Colin Powell, he was like, man, I really don't want to call Captain Miller and tell him I've lost this gun. So he does anyway because, you know, he said, I might as well just follow on my sword. He calls his captain, he radios, he says, I have lost my 45 somewhere between where we left and here. And, uh, well, he, he was told by his captain, he said, okay, just continue the mission. So they do that, and when it's time for them to head back in, he's going very slow, looking along the way to see if he can see if his 45 had fallen out somewhere, and he didn't. They get all the way back to their base. Captain Miller called him over, and he says, I've got something for you. And he hands him a 45. He said, some kids in the village found it where it fell out of your holster. Kids found it, he said. Yeah. Luckily, they only got off one round before we heard the shot and took the gun away. Powell says, the disastrous possibilities left me limp. Don't let it happen again, Captain Miller said, and he drove off. Powell checked his magazine and found that it was full. The gun hadn't been fired, hadn't been found. He later learned that he dropped it in his tent before he ever got started, and his captain fabricated the scene about kids to give him a good scare. And he goes on, he says, Today the Army might hold an investigation, call in lawyers, and likely enter a bad mark on my record. Miller gave me the chance to learn from my mistake. His example of intelligent leadership was lost on me. Nobody ever got to the top without slipping up. When someone stumbles, I don't believe in stomping on them. My philosophy is pick them up, dust them off, and get them moving again. He was shown patience. We have been shown patience. So one motivation for us showing patience to others is that Jesus has been patient with us. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, Paul says, of whom I am chief. Some of your Bibles say, of whom I am foremost. However, for this reason I obtain mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul could say, if you look at my history, I stood holding the cloaks of those who took up stones to put Stephen to death. Then... I entered into houses after houses, dragging away those who belonged to the way. 
some of them being beaten, some of them in prison, some of them dying. Then I was given letters from the chief priest to go to Damascus, find anyone that belonged to the way, and bring them back to Jerusalem for trial. I, Paul would say, persecuted the church of Christ, overseeing the deaths of people who are now my brothers and sisters. If anybody deserves judgment, Paul might say, it's me. If anybody deserves to not be forgiven, Paul might say, it's me. But Paul says, Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the chief of sinners. But for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering or, or, or patience as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. How many of you could probably say, I somewhat identify with what Paul's saying here? If you knew my past, you know, a lot of people would avoid me. A lot of people wouldn't have anything to do with me. And the thing is, some people in here do know our pasts. And maybe they do avoid us, don't want anything to do with us. And, you know, have their thoughts and opinions about us. I would tell anyone that may be. But here's the good part of it. Everybody in their opinion doesn't matter on Judgment Day. You make sure you're right with God. And if you've hurt other people, you do what you can to make amends. But if you can't get beyond that, you've done your part. Just remember that by God and Jesus Christ forgiving you, He is showing His patience as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. I have to love those who are hard to love because God is patient with me, an impatient person, but also because Jesus has showed me patience. Now here's the last one, and I love this. You're going you're to think this is very adorable. Not what I have to say, but I'm, I'm reading. Uh, some, some children were asked in a Sunday school class, what's the definition of love? Now their answers, precious. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. That's what Carl, who was age five, said. Love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him alone all day. Marianne, age four. My mother says to look for a boyfriend who is kind. So that's what I'll do. I'll find someone who is kind of tall and handsome. Caroline, age eight. I know my older sister loves me because she gives me all her clothes and has to go out and buy new ones. Lauren, age four. We call those hand-me-downs where I'm from. You probably call them that too. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore, so my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Rebecca, age eight. Couple more. Bobby, age five, says... Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and just listen. That's precious. And the last one, Jessica, age eight, says, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot because people forget. I thought those were good. Especially that one about a boy and a girl putting on smell good to smell each other. 
The way to love people that are hard to love, as impatient as we are, is to remember that God is patient with us impatient people. But secondly, that Jesus has shown us patience. But lastly, we have been loved at our most unlovable. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. They're hard to love. I don't want to love them. It's a burden. Yeah, it is. But I remember that God has loved me at my most unlovable. And when we find people at their most unlovable, if we ever try to be like Jesus, mimic the heart of God, that's when we should love them. I want you to notice the wording of the passage. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that, notice what it doesn't say, in that when we were good enough. It's not what it says. In that when we tried hard enough to be good enough. Doesn't say that either, does it? God demonstrates His own love toward us in that when we knew it all. When we could quote Scripture, when we attended every church service. No. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were sinners, when we were at our worst possible state, that's when God loved us. And love us, He does still to this day. But in that most miserable state, that's when He sent Christ to die for us. And Jesus dying for us is the demonstration of God's love. Words are cheap, aren't they? Words are cheap. You could go around telling everybody, I love you, I love you. Okay, show me. Words are cheap. God not only through His Word tells us, but He also shows us. He says, look at the cross. Look at the sacrifice that was made. Look at the payment that was rendered. It's so that we who are unlovable could be loved. And hopefully, by us who are unlovable, being loved by God, it has made us more and more lovable to others around us, maybe even more so to God. And so I try to remember, whenever I'm pointing my finger, you ever heard this? Whenever you point your finger at someone, you got three more pointed right back at you. So before I go and, and, and talk about how difficult you are, how I, you know, let's try and remember you know, what I'm saying of them. I could probably at one point have said of myself, and there are probably other people who already say that about me or have in the past. So I want you to focus on this, that God has loved you with an everlasting love at your worst moment. And if your worst moment still keeps getting bad and bad, God still loves you. And God still wants you to be saved. And it's the love of God, the love of Jesus, that will truly transform the world. If we all accepted it, if we all live by it, the world will be a much different place. But as God sent His Son to die for us all, to demonstrate His love for us, what He wants is, is, is a return of that love. Because we see how much God gave because of love. I should love in return. 
If I believe, I believe. And by loving the Lord, I love Him through the confession that I make that Christ is His only Son. I love Him through the repentance that I offer in, in, in trying to change and be different, be more like that Son. I show my love by surrendering all and going and being buried with Jesus in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Confession, repentance, baptism. That's a way to show that we love God. But it's also a way to show that we love God when we come in an assembly such as this to worship Him and praise Him. When we keep His commandments throughout the weeks. When we show compassion and mercy to other people. When we tell other people about the gospel. These are all ways that we show God we love you. We can't ever repay Him. But boy, we can sure work like we're trying to. So if you need to show your love to God, if you want to demonstrate it in faith and obey the gospel, you can come to the front. Our elders will be down here. I'll be down here as well. If you're a Christian and you've been unlovable, maybe you know you need to repent and do better, we'll pray for you. We'll pray with you. No judgment down here. No judgment. So if you want to, come as we stand and as we sing.